Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Lutz Trudamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight on That Kevin Show, we go live to Tel Aviv with Dr. Melissa Jane Kronfeld. Then national security expert Nicole Parker weighs in. Funny lady Carmen Lynn stops by. A new Taylor and Travis sketch. And Dax, along with Darius Rucker, in the spotlight. And now, from Times Square where a senile president is attempting to squeeze a mayor who is standing up for Israel. Here's that Kevin. Well, sadly, I think that may actually be, in fact, true. One of uh, Mayor Adams' chief fundraisers had her apartment raided by the feds this week. Now... This is someone who's not in the administration of the mayor. This is someone who helped him raise a lot of money for his election. And I'm assuming she's going to help him raise a lot of money for his re-election if he decides to run again. That's kind of how it works. So the feds are all of a sudden, after he comes out and takes a strong stand against the president uh, and takes a very strong stand uh, standing by Israel, he decides he's, uh, he's well, we got we to deal with that one. So here come the feds dead of night, you know, marching people out in their underwear. Okay, we've got a concerning issue we've got to discuss. Watch this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Secretary Mayorkas, let me start with you. You're familiar with the chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You familiar with that? I am. Do you know what it means? I do. Can you explain it to us? Um, uh, Senator, that is a, um, a chant um, that speaks of uh, Palestinian desire for its homeland and a very expansive definition of its homeland at the expense of the independence of Israel. Well, indeed. I mean, it, it calls for the elimination of Israel, does it not? It does. So my question to you is, should students who are here on a visa who gather and chant that slogan and actively advocate for the elimination of Israel and attacks on Jewish individuals, whether in the Middle East or here in the United States, as we're seeing on college campuses, should those students have their visas revoked? Uh, Senator, uh, I believe you are referencing a provision in the Immigration and Nationality Act uh, about which you have written uh, to me, and I am very familiar with uh, uh, your assertion that that statutory provision requires the revocation of their visa. But should they have their visas revoked? I'm asking you. Uh, uh, we are um, assessing um, your legal assertion. Um, it is a matter of legal interpretation of the statute. Well, just as a moral matter, I mean, should, should students who are here, foreigners who are here in this country, accessing our university system and advocating for the killing of Jews... Should they be allowed to stay here at our leisure? Um, 
Senator, it is a matter of law, and uh, it requires a legal interpretation, and I am not in a position to provide that legal interpretation. Just, and let me add something. Well, no, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. I, I, I just, my time is very limited. I have to say I think your answer is disappointing, but let me ask you something else. Let, let me ask you about people who say other things. What about people who say things like, on October the 7th, F Israel, I'm cleaning up the language here, F Israel, the government and its military, are you ready for your downfall? People who say things like F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel. May your conscience haunt your dreams until your last breath. Palestine will be free one day. F apartheid Israel and is any Israeli. What, this is pretty extreme rhetoric, don't you think? Senator, um, I do, and I think there is a distinction between espousing or endorsing terrorist ideology and uh, speech uh, that is uh, odious, that does not rise to that um, level. Fair enough. This person works for you. This is Nuja Ali, an employee of the Department of Homeland Security, who posted these comments on October the 7th. That's not all she posted. She also posted this graphic. Now, this is a fake graphic, I want to be clear, but I think we understand it. This is a paraglider, a Hamas paraglider, depicted here with a machine gun flying into Israel. She posted it under her online alias with the celebratory Free Palestine. Mr. Secretary, what, what's going on here? Is this, is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. What have you done about this? Four things I'd like to say to you. Number one, your question to suggest that it, that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. Number I'm sorry, what have you, this person works for the Department of Homeland Security. Have you fired her? That was one of four answers. Have you fired her? One. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Has she been fired? Mr. Chairman. Mr. Secretary. After um, the consumption of Senator Hawley's time, I'd like to speak. Has she been fired? Because I will we not would like be, an answer. Would you? Because I will not be given the opportunity. Has she been fired? So uh, that individual has been placed on administrative leave. So she's one. not been fired. Number two. Number Why has two, she not been fired? Number two, the individual was hired in 2019. Why has she not been number fired? Three, I cannot speak to an ongoing personnel matter. Why? Why has this person not been fired? Your answer is you can't speak to it. This isn't sufficient to fire her? I am not in a position to speak to an ongoing personnel matter. This that, isn't sufficient to fire her? That's what you're telling me? That is not what I'm saying. But she's still on your payroll as that, we sit here today. That is not what I'm saying. She's still on your payroll as we sit here today. Senator? How many cases? She was an asylum and immigration officer. How many cases did she adjudicate? Senator, I'm not in a position to speak about an ongoing person. I'm not asking about that. I'm asking you how many cases she adjudicated. My uh, answer remains. Did she adjudicate any cases involving 
Israelis seeking asylum in this country? Same answer. Well, let me just point you to what else she posted on social media, where she drew attention to the fact that she is an immigration and asylum officer. Hashtag immigrants, hashtag asylum seekers, hashtag Palestine, hashtag refugees welcome. This is on her LinkedIn post where she has her professional affiliation posted. So I think the American people deserve to know, has, has she admitted, contrary to law, individuals who should not be in this country or denied Jewish refugees whose genocide she's advocating, asylum that they deserve? Same answer. You're not gonna, you're not gonna tell us what this person's done? Are you conducting a review of her cases at least? Senator, as I have said, over and over again, I cannot speak to an ongoing. You said that you will not. Matter. I can't believe that you would come to this committee knowing this. You know about this. I've written to you about it. You know all about it. And you come here unwilling to answer and suggest that it is wrong of me to ask you the question. Quite frankly, Mr. Secretary, I think that your performance is despicable. And I think the fact that you are not willing to provide answers to this committee is absolutely atrocious. What you just saw with your own eyes and heard with your own ears is the very real circumstance that we currently have at the Department of Homeland Security. At the Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas, who touts his being the child of Holocaust survivors when it's convenient, somehow has been lulled into the idea that it's okay to let pro-Hamas terrorists work for his organization. And that's the Department of Homeland Security. We need to call our congressmen and congresswomen and ask them to remove Mr. Mayorkas from his post, to impeach him. He's failed us on our border, and having openly anti-Semitic, terror-supporting terrorists working for him and unwilling to take them off the payroll, to me, is a, it's a breach of his duties. 202-224-3121 to call your congressman or woman. 202-224-3121. Kevin McCullough. I cannot believe what we're dealing with. A very special conversation with someone very important. Straight ahead. Don't miss this. From New York, it's that Kevin show. See, I knew it. Uh, come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin, Kevin McCullough. Welcome back to Times Square. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. My next guest is someone that has been on my mind a lot recently. Uh, she was someone who always was up for a great conversation about politics and activism in New York City. And then a number of years ago, uh, moved from New York uh, to Israel to uh, take on some challenges there and to 
to follow a call that she felt on her life in a very real way. Uh, but she was uh, in the States on 9-11. She was in uh, Israel on 7 of October of this year. And it is a, a, a real pleasure to welcome her back to uh, my microphone and uh, viewers. But we have not uh, discussed anything in quite some time. Melissa Jane Kronfeld. I know that I'm not supposed to ask how you are, uh, because uh, in Israel you're measuring days differently, like are you still alive? Uh, but we are. it is a joy to see you. I'm glad to know that you are okay, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, forgive me, I just rocket, rocket alert. Okay, not not our region. Okay. Um, so um, it's, thank you so much for having me back. It, it's so good to see you. I miss you. Um, and uh, I miss I miss all of you. A in rocket York, alert. You literally really just good. took one while we were doing the intro. I was looking. Yeah, I know. It looks like it may have been an intrusion alert, not a rocket alert, but I do have my phone here just in case. If the rockets do go off, I will have to exit. Um, stage left. We're going to get into this hopefully in a little bit if time and, and the circumstances permit, but life has been upended for you and everybody in Israel. And as I have talked with my Jewish friends here, and there's, there are many that interact with my show each week and many more that I know on a very personal uh, connected basis, um, people are feeling very isolated and very afraid. Um, I want to go back to the day for you and maybe the context of what that day First of all, how did you find yourself in uh, Israel on October 6th and 7th this year? Um, so, yeah, so briefly, um, you know, I, I work, um, I'm a Temple Mount activist. So for the past few years, a huge part of my work, um, in addition to my my social impact consultancy and my foundation is working on the Temple Mount. And so basically every single day that Jews are permitted on the Temple Mount, which is five days a week, five hours a day, I leave my house, my beautiful beach front, front apartment in Tel Aviv around four or 5 a.m. to go and spend the day marching around the Temple Mount to make sure that we normalize a Jewish presence, remind our Muslim brothers and sisters that um, this is a Jewish space and fight for equal rights and access for all people, providing complimentary tours to anybody who wants to come. And um, although I'm extremely grateful for that work, and I love doing that, it's it's exhausting. It takes an emotional toll. I've been arrested, detained. I've been punched in the face by a police officer, you know, apparently for resisting arrest. I don't think it was resisting arrest, but that's a story <laughs> for another time. Um, and uh, and so kind of on, on, the, on, on October 6th, um, it's, a, it's a Friday, so Jews are not permitted on the mount. And, um, you know, as grateful I am for my work and for all the people who support us and the amazing people I get to meet every day doing that work, you know, sometimes it's nice to not wake up at 3 a.m. to walk my dogs to leave by 5 to go to the Temple Mount and march around and be yelled at by Arabs and punched in the face by cops. Um, and so on October 6th, I was kind of having that moment where I'm like, oof. I don't have to go to Jerusalem today, you know, and I'm going to stay home. And the next thing it was during the holidays, which is obviously a very, um, uh, it's, I don't get holidays off anymore because everyone wants to be on the Temple Mount during the holidays. So I don't even take holidays off. And, um, and so I was feeling enormously grateful to be home actually. And then, um, on October, so yeah, I went to bed. I think I stayed up pretty late, but it was mostly because it was Shabbat and I was reading. Um, and, and then around 7 a.m. on October 7th, I woke up kind of like a little bit dazed because something woke me up. Like it wasn't that I just woke up naturally. Um, and I do admittedly try to sleep in until 8 on Saturdays. <laughs> uh, so it was 7 and I couldn't kind of figure out what was going on. And I could hear like a noise. Um, 
And so I got out of bed and my phone, my phone in the other room was, was pinging and the phones, I have three phones, the phones in my rooms were, were this noise was going off. It wasn't my regular alarm. And I just, like, I was kind of like, what is going on? I went and got some juice. I got back into bed. I had all my phones with me and I looked down at my phone and I see that it's the, the red alert. And I thought, oh, red alert, Tel Aviv, Saturday, Simcha Torah, guys, like, give me a break. It's my day off. And, um, and so, you know, as, as someone who's now experienced two wars here, um, I, I follow the rules. I go to my safe room. I, I wait the 90, you know, three minutes for the end of the booms. But seven o'clock on a Saturday morning, I'm, I decide I'm going to sit in bed and ride out the storm. They don't hit us anyway. And, um, and then the sirens stop. And then we usually get about 90 seconds or less between the end of the sirens and the beginning of the booms. And then it was boom. I thought, okay, good, done. Then it was boom, 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 and it just kept going. And I thought, oh, it's not a rocket, it's a rocket strike. And that was when I realized I had to probably move to my mamad in a safe room just to for you know to do the right thing. And um, and so that's what we did. And then the room that's when I actually had the opportunity, because I was not awake yet, to look at my phone and I I saw an hour's worth of alerts news alert, something wasn't right. And in Israel, when something isn't right, you go on Telegram. And I went on Telegram and it was thousands of videos from Jews in the Southern envelope who had posted pictures from out their window of terrorists riding around their communities with guns banging on their doors, shooting into their windows. And then even more videos from the terrorists banging on the doors, shooting in the windows, driving into communities. I know these communities. I know every inch of Israel. I knew exactly where these things were happening. And and it's just, it's, it's, I woke up 20 minutes ago. I'm now under rocket fire. I'm watching videos of people being dragged from their houses. And there are terrorists, lots of them, in cars with guns driving through the streets of Israeli cities. It's, it wasn't, none of it was normal. I've seen terrorist attacks. I've been near terrorist attacks. I've witnessed terrorist attacks. I've sat through wars. I lived in Israel for five years. And nothing about what I was seeing was anything like I had experienced, seen, knew, or historically was part of how things happen here. Yeah. And that's when I knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. In the aftermath, we'd come to learn that there were at least 1,400 Israelis that lost their life that day and hundreds of hostages taken to Gaza. Do you, do you feel like the, the majority of that danger has passed, or is there an anticipation that there's another shoot yet to drop? So my, my field of expertise is actually national security. That's what I did both my master's and my PhD and my undergrad in. But so this is something, you know, that I both look at as a Jew and Israeli a citizen, but also as a, a national security intellectual and academic. And so um, I can tell you, I, I knew right away that that the that the northern front was obviously going to open up, even if there wasn't a collaboration between Hamas and Hezbollah. Traditionally, when Hamas does something big like this, Hezbollah takes advantage of it. So that was obviously the first thing, like, check, okay, Hezbollah is going to start off soon. And they started exactly around the time that I figured they would. Um, and I can tell you that on the first day, the very first day, uh, friends of mine were called up to the northern front. So Israel... We obviously knew that that was going to happen too. Let's just secure that area because it's really bad down south. Um, but in terms of like what what surprises me and what I'm, you know, there's two really good answers for it. What really surprises me is one, I assumed by now that there would be an uprising um, and an incumbent 
<clears throat> to be a judgment against my um, Arab Israeli brothers and sisters. One of them happens to be my best friend and serves in the IDF right now. Um, but, um, you know, the, the first thing that surprised me is that there's not been an Arab Israeli um, uprising within the country. And not a massive uprising, but we haven't had. Melissa, hold this problems. thought. We're going to continue sure. on, but I have to take this break. Uh, we're speaking sure. with Melissa Jane Kronfeld live from Tel Aviv. Stay here. Ready or not, you'll be right back. From Times Square on this side of the camera, on that side of the camera, Melissa Jane Kronfeld is joining me from Tel Aviv tonight, and we are grateful for her willingness to come and tell her story. Um, you were talking about, uh, just before the break, the relative calm that has that has occurred within Israel itself. And you, you used a term, I want to make sure people heard, uh, uh, an Arab-Israeli, in the grotesque pro-Hamas uh, demonstrations that have happened here in the States. I don't think one piece of news coverage anywhere in the U.S. has mentioned that there are not only um, Arab Israelis, but that they actually that there are some that hold seats in the Knesset and as part of the government, and that Israel as a country is uh, ecumenical in its racial profile and makeup. And Melissa, I don't know how the world gets away with telling the lies that they do about the way Israel operates, but it is far more diverse than anybody has, has been giving any light to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Arab Israeli population is approximately 20% of our, of our, I think we're 9 million people. I have to double check on that, but um, uh, they're approximately 20% um, of our population. And, you know, I actually heard something very interesting today, Floor um, Hassan, who's uh, the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, is she, her, unfortunately, her father-in-law just passed away and she was on air talking about how in the hospitals, uh, and she was talking about how when her, unfortunately, when her father-in-law was passing away, that during the course of this entire thing, just passed away. She said, you know, it's the entire hospital is just Arabs and Jews working side by side. There was no strain, no pressure, no anxiety, no weirdness. Everyone was just continuing forward. No one was, you know, no one was putting aside what was going on outside the doors of the hospital. But her example is really proof positive that this is this is a country where, you know, when push comes to shove, if you are Israeli, you're Israeli. Um, and, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world is Arab-Israeli, and he serves in the IDF right now. He's fighting on behalf of the Israeli state. He's fighting on behalf of all of us. And he frequently texts me to remind me that he that he would die for Israel, the Jewish state, yeah. you know. Um, and so, you know, it's very important to remember that. But it is Which is very incredible surprising. to contrast that with Hamas, who just two days ago's top leader said that the Palestinians in Gaza, quote, must be prepared to give their lives for the cause. I mean, just just contrast what you just described and the leadership of Hamas at present and what they're doing. And there's really no comparison. But the for whatever reason, the global media has tried to make this a very like equitable one on one type of situation. And I, I just don't see that. There's a couple of other things I want to make sure we get to. And one of them is. Um, as you went through the day and as Israel has gone through 
the day since. You're into the response phase now. Um, the Hamas information wing is telling even Fox News and others that there's tens of thousands of children that have been killed and all sorts of other things that I, I just don't accept because they come from that source. Um, what is the general state of mind from the people that you live around and interact with right now in this response stage? Is the action that's being taken what needs to happen in order for Israel to kind of eliminate the Hamas threat for the future? Will Palestinians be better off because of the, the actions that Israel's taken right now? What's, what's your sense of what's happening? So I'm unique in the sense that I'm like a classic Tel Avivian, as you'd probably expect. Most of my friends live in Judea and Samaria, where I myself helped establish a yeshuv. Been there. I love it. Yes. Yeah, what the European Union would call um, an illegal outpost, um, um, you know, and, and I work in Jerusalem in, in the Temple Mount movement. So a lot of my friends are, you know, what would be considered the far right in Israel. Um, and so I have a, probably a bit more unique perspective than most Anglo Jews, many of whom ran away home as soon as, uh, as soon as the conflict started because it was too stressful for them to listen to a couple of rockets all day long. Um, Sorry, I'm a little judgy on that. You don't get to. What you've lived through. You don't get to make aliyah. You 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 come here, you make aliyah, you accept the good and the bad. I wouldn't dream of going home right now. My mother's offered me cars, houses, money, literally. She's like, I'll give you anything you want if you come home. There's not a chance I'll ever come home ever again now, ever, ever. Where you have to, this is it. It's where I'm never leaving, not even for a visit. Like, I need to be here. This is what I'm doing. Um, And so, my first, you know, I, I could tell you that. From with that caveat in mind, you know, I think that, you know, in the communities and the people that I know, there is, there is a, and I work a lot the idea, but like there's a sense that there's a, there's definitely a fear that we're not going to go all the way. Now, the more and more I watch the news and what I'm seeing now and the, and how they're going into Gaza and the people that I'm speaking who are in Gaza right now fighting on the front lines, I become more confident every day that, that we're going to do what it takes to, to, literally you know end hamas as an entity and and create a better world for it ready or not you'll be right back that kevin Welcome back to Times Square. Very honored to have my esteemed guest, Dr. Melissa Jane Kronfeld, uh, joining us for a third segment. Um, You're a national security expert. My good friend, Katie McFarland, who advised multiple presidents here in the United States uh, in the Pentagon, a civilian equivalent of a four-star, has said the very same thing on this show. So you're in uh, good company in terms of what your fear and concern is. But my concern is that uh, Biden, who has been, I would say, mediocre to tepid in what he's said, though my Israeli friends say that uh, it's being received in Israel far more supportively than than what it was perceived here. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Mm-hmm. But that he at some point will begin to be pressured and and eventually ask Israel to do what American presidents have done far too much, which is put handcuffs on and not do the job that's necessary. And that if that happens, that is really the sign to the Arab street that that the, the game is on and everybody comes at you from each side. And it's not just 
uh, Lebanon or Jordan or Syria, but uh, Iran in full steam uh, and backed by people like Turkey and Russia and maybe even China, that there's this there's this kind of global nexus of an axis of evil that can that can really unleash total hell. I don't fear the loss of America for Israel. We're not a client state. This is not, they're not a colonial overlord of the United States. It is important to remember that that America- We're We're just a very close relationship. No, but what, you know, and and that's, and so what I think is that too many people invest in a belief that, and you hear, especially from the diaspora Jews, and you hear it from Israelis, uh, Israel needs America. No, Israel does not need America, okay? Israel is an ancient people. It's an ancient nation. It's an ancient kingdom. We've been here longer than, you know, most other people, you know, we're the people of the book, the, the best-selling book of all time. Uh, and that book was around long before the United States. So my view on this is extremely different. I do, we, America has been friend, a friend and ally to the United States. Okay, Truman aside, I mean, not Truman, um, yeah, Truman aside and, then, you know, accepting um, uh, being the first country to acknowledge Israel's existence. But, um or the establishment of the modern state of Israel. But um, let us be very clear. It was Henry Kissinger and Henry Kissinger alone that established the policy um, under Republican President Nixon um, that they would be an ally and supporter of Israel, full force, no questions asked. Okay, that was, I'm not old enough to remember the 70s. I was born in 82, but I, I know that that's almost as old as I am. And so what I think is very important to remember is it was France and the UK, despite you know, the problems during the mandate that stepped in in those interim years to help Israel, train Israel, give Israel weapons. America's relationship with Israel, although special and important because of America's position in the world, is not something that I have ever believed will, will last forever or nor be more, more important. And I think now is, ex- I think this is the time. America's waning influence means, um, it means nothing to Israel. It means that America's waning and we'll go find the next people. I am a realist. I am a hardcore realist. And at the end of the day, if it means teaming up with with some less savory folks and, and maintaining the state of Israel and keeping good in the world and being a light into the nations, well, then that may have to happen. But I do not put any stock whatsoever in the American-Israeli relationship. America needs to get there collective, you know what, together. And the fact that you have in your Congress, we have some so American, sorry, but the fact that you have in um, in the Congress, a Palestinian terrorist, um, a Somali terrorist, um, a terrorist from uh, Queens, um, and wherever Cori Bush is from, who knows, Michigan, I don't know, she's just outrageous. But like the squad to me is indicative of the fact that America's special relationship with Israel actually doesn't mean anything. And when as soon as those women and their associated male friends came into office. That was when it came became very apparent to me that what I have always believed that the relationship between the United States and America is simply incumbent upon who is in office and the power America has in the world. So now you have you now you have some of the most with Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson, Brooke Hashem aside. I love that man. Um, Temple Mount support. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that. But the but where America is now to me is in an in indication that Israel needs to start looking for a new boyfriend. Well, and I hope that um, that whatever that de- degree of truth or untruth, misperception, perception that you have about the situation, my prayer is that America doesn't abandon Israel yes. in any way because we benefit as a nation by, by, by blessing those that God said would be blessed if we blessed them. So to me, it, it's, it's so much bigger than just the geopolitical stuff. Um, We've got two minutes left, and you've been so generous with your time tonight. Um, my people pray, people that watch my show and listen, 
intercede on people's behalf because they love and care about the Israeli uh, existence and the Jewish people. What would you ask of my people tonight? So first of all, your prayers matter now more than ever. The great thing about being Jewish is that it's like reading the last page of the book or watching the final scene of the movie before it starts. We all know how the story ends. It may take a while. It may be ugly. A lot of people may die. And a lot of horrible, awful things like the Holocaust that I just lived through and witnessed is going to happen. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of your listeners and all of your watchers need to understand that in the we win in the end. That's it. It's the end of the story. That's the last page. Like, it's what we say at our holidays. They tried to kill us. We live. Now let's eat. Like, that's it's so it's going to be okay. It, it, we're going to win the war. It, we're going to have the Messiah, the Mashiach. We're going to build a third temple. We're going to all, at some point, maybe all be together in Israel and the world would be a much better place. So, like, that's the most important thing to remember. This, we know how the story ends. Yeah. We don't know how we get there, but we know how the story ends. And if you start with that, then everything else is a lot easier. Right. Second, send your prayers. Send your prayers our way. Uh, my my project highinthehar.com has a place now where you can actually enter in prayers. We will. T- I will personally take them to Spell the temple that mount for me because I think I, there may be people watching that want to help sure. you advance the um, temple mount uh, advocacy. Yeah, so it's high. Like I, I walk up high on the har, which is um, Hebrew for a mountain. H A R. High on the har. So I'm high on har by high on the mountain, high on the Temple Mount on Mount Moriah. And so if you want to go there and and leave, put your prayers, and you don't need to leave your name or a number or email. You could just do it anonymously. I will pers- I personally take every prayer that comes in every Sunday morning to the Temple Mount, and I pray for you. Wow. Your prayers matter now more than ever before. This is the moment that we read about in the book this is good versus evil and you need to stand good because god will judge you for the things that you say and the things that you do right now i'll judge you too but you know god's going to judge you so watch out his his judgment matters a lot more than any human (laughs) yeah well i I may be more wrathful so jane kronfeld who started this interview receiving an intrusion or a missile alert coming into tel aviv thank you for taking the time to be with us a very special conversation and we will be back in touch soon Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, the number one song in the country from Dax and Darius Rucker. I can't hide myself. I don't expect you to understand. I just hope I can explain what it's like to be a man. It's a lonely road. And they don't care about what you know. It's not about how you feel. What you provide inside that home Being a man is what you make it You can't always live up to expectations You try to please everybody while you struggle so you fake it And end up out of balance, compromising situations As a good man, uh, do what he should, man I give everything he has and do everything he could, man You might find yourself feeling all alone Inside a house you built that you don't recognize as home 
daddy told me and I'll tell my son the same now that I'm older I relate and I actually feel his pain he never cried he might have lied but he did not complain and he said son one day you have to do the same I get emotional when I stop and think and I look around beyond the county lines of my small town I think about all the men out there who feel like I do now who are screaming on the inside but won't ever make I can't a I don't expect you to understand I just hope I can explain What it's like to be a man It's a lonely road And they don't care about what you know It's not about how you feel But what you provide inside that home Don't give up, keep fighting As a man, our son is our horizon. And our father's actions play a role, and we end up like them. So they can't let us see them hurt. Cause we'll embody what they do and start a generational curse. No wonder most men are so depressed. All the things that they can't express. They go to war, get thrown on the shelf. Then go back to war with their mental health. Then grab that bottle and ask for help. Try to pull themselves out of hell. Then fall back down and then realize that they're gonna have to do it themselves. It's the circle of life as a man. Another big hit. Stay here. It's that Kevin Show. Spotify or Apple Music.